from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for Friday, August the 11th, 2023. Checking the calendar, the Brewers are on Chicago's south side for a weekend with the White Sox, and the Packers preseason gets underway in Cincinnati tonight. It's also the last weekend of the State Fair. Now what are we going to do? Well, how about taking a walk? Might I suggest the Milwaukee Walking Food Tour, or the Brew City Ghost Tour, or Milwaukee Microbrewery Tour with lunch and dinner, or believe it or not, the Cream City Cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer Walking Tour. Oh, no. Why, why would I make this up? NBC says this is the most unique tour in the world. Well, now you can't say there's nothing to do. Okay, let's get started. It looks like the shoe's on the other foot. Thieves broke into a, sho- a shop in Peru and stole, 20, uh, stole 200 sneakers, but they're all for the right foot. <laughs> <laughs> Those knuckleheads you could be easy to identify. As onlookers clapped and danced, the mayor of a small southern Mexico town entered into holy matrimony with a female caiman. It's a crocodile-looking thing. The purpose of this intermingling of the species is a tradition meant to bring good fortune to all of the citizens. This cross-pollination has been going on for 230 years. The mayor said you can't have a marriage without love. I know it's all symbolic, but it is kind of creepy. And finally, Koreans are suddenly going to be one to two years younger. The country is is doing away with their traditional standards of age calculation. In their current system, you're born at the age of one, and then you add a year on January 1st. For example, you could be born on Christmas Day, and now you're one. And a week later, it's January 1st, and suddenly you're two. It's not really the fountain of youth. But the fake ID business is going to be great. <laughs> On the podcast today, we have Dave Sandstrom, Adam Bailey, Joel Dreesing, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Max. A bit of profit-taking this week in the NASDAQ, down 1.9%. The S&P 500 down three-tenths of a percent. But the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, after adding 105 points on Friday, able to scratch out a bit of a victory, up six-tenths of a percent, closing Friday at 35281 for the year. Despite giving a little bit back, the NASDAQ still up 31%, the S&P up 17.4, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 7.8. You know, Adam, maybe that's a place to start is some profit-taking on the NASDAQ. We've seen it now for, uh, you know, the last week and a half or so. Uh, It seemed to follow a headline that caused some concern last week with uh, Fitch downgrading the U.S.'s debt, Um, but really trading in the NASDAQ shouldn't be all that well tied to that. And so perhaps just a little bit more uh, of investors looking for a reason to take some gains off the table. Yeah, I think now's a wonderful time to do some profit taking. And you see that across the board in the NASDAQ a little bit. And take a step backwards to where we were at the beginning of the year, or even uh, October of last year, uh, stocks specifically the NASDAQ have just run a long way in a short period of time. And you sprint that far, that long, that fast, you got to pause and you got to catch your breath and you got to take some profits. And even still, NASDAQ's up 31% this year after some profit taking. Um, You know, that's to be expected after such a a long run. And um, yeah, you got to see that from time to time. I think what's important to note too, Kyle, is the fact that you know, the big difference between now and a year ago is where you're 
looking at yields on things like cash and short-term bonds. I mean, the risk premium for owning these high-octane NASDAQ-type names uh, is certainly under some pressure, right, with the, with the types of returns you can get in the safe side of the market. So that, I think that's also maybe giving, giving uh, a reason for some of these guys to, or some investors to exit that market. Yeah, you're right, Dave. The uh, um, bonds and cash now have more competition to stocks than they did a year ago. And now you can get 5% on cash. You can get 5.5% on a CD or short-term bond. And it, it, I think it just makes a lot of sense to take some profits. And now that bonds are, are offering a fair amount of competition to stocks. Well, and I think we need to be clear that it's always relative, right? I was, I was just finishing up a meeting with some younger clients. They're fairly aggressive, but they've saved a lot. And I'm telling them, hey, we want to take a little bit of a step back. You know, there's there's plenty of gains out there. We want to be the, the sellers when things are high and the buyers when things are low. And so uh, if the goal here is to, you know, lock in some of the gains, well, yeah, it looks different for them than it does for somebody that's maybe a little later in life, maybe a little less aggressive in their overall approach. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, there's a right number for what you should have in bonds or in cash. It means that it should be specific to what you're looking for and what you need. And so, um, you know, I think across the board, the direction is probably the same. Yeah, you, you want to be taking some gains uh, where, where appropriate if you're already too conservative, maybe that's the exception. But for most people, they've let their portfolio run higher this year. Um, and so, you know, again, I think it's uh, take a look at what you need, take a look at what you're hoping to accomplish, uh, and take advantage of the gains that are out there. You know, Joel, we've talked at length about inflation. Um, I occasionally go down the rabbit hole uh, in, uh, you know, articles that I read or in comment sections where people just truly don't understand uh, that the fact that inflation, the rate of inflation has come back down does not mean that prices have come back down. Um, that inflation itself is a measure of change in price. Um, and we got some more data this week that suggests that inflation has moderated from where it was a year ago, but still out there, still higher than maybe what the Fed hopes. Right. Yeah. Uh, we had the, the consumer price index come out this week, and that's the broadest measure we have of inflation. And that was up 3.2% from a year ago, from last July. Um, and that's a tick up from June when it was 3%. But um, and it's a third of what it was a year ago. And in, in June of last year, it was 9.1%. So it's come down, it's moderated. But to your point, the Fed says that long term, we're really shooting for a 2% inflation rate. And and uh, yeah, so we, we still have a ways to go, but the direction is right. And there were some underlying numbers in there that uh, were more encouraging that um, some of the articles I read, economists are thinking, um, you know, there might be enough encouragement there that the Fed actually is going to put a pause on the interest rate ri rising that it's been doing for the last 15 months. I think, Joel, but part of that could be the fact that of that 3.2 percent inflation, uh, close to 90 percent of that number is made up of a housing and shelter cost uh, component. So if you really kind of peel back the layers there, you can see that in just about every other category, 
We've made some really strong strides in, in bringing those inflation numbers down. Housing remains the, the real stickler right now. Right, Dave. And, and that's, that's a, a component that it takes a while to, to get down again. And, and for months, I've been reading that um, the experts are, are saying that that's going to go down. And actually, you know, with that 90% of the, of the gain, you know, from, from shelter costs, the shelter costs actually for the month went up um, 0.4% as opposed to inflation overall went up 0.2%. Um, but that's half as fast as it was in December. In December, it was 0.8%. So so that's been coming down. And, and it was, um, if you did look on a year-to-year basis, the shelter costs were up 7.7%. So it's double that 3.2 we were talking about. But but it was as high as 8.2% as, as recently as Mark. And the shelter costs are probably one area of the way we calculate inflation that could be sticky for a while. Uh, the, the way that we calculate uh, shelter prices, it's through something called owner equivalency rent. And it's a nebulous concept in and of itself. It's something nobody actually pays. But um, essentially, it's like if you own your own home, what, do you, what would you pay in rent if you had to rent it out? And uh, as it relates to rents, uh, as prices have come up for, for homes, uh, obviously the equivalent rent has gone up. But when you, the reason why it would be sticky is that when you ultimately negotiate rent with your landlord, right, you don't negotiate on a month-to-month lease. You negotiate for a year or two. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why this could be sticky in part because leases, uh, they tend to extend out 12 or 24 months. And that's why the shelter costs could be a, a continued part of inflation going forward. And for consumers, understand that all of these components of inflation are a real part of rising costs. But as Adam, you rightfully point out, we don't make shelter decisions, generally speaking, on a daily, weekly, even monthly basis. It's year to year at most, and so um, it matters, but it's less of a component to kind of, okay, how's my wallet today? It's more of a component to what's my long-term financial health look like? Because if shelter is a bigger component to the overall cost, that's going to hurt a little more. But today versus tomorrow, I care more about the price of gas or the price of a gallon of milk or a dozen eggs, um, and largely we've seen those prices moderate. Although even that, with that, I mean, you know, and, and moderate mean, doesn't mean it goes down every month. And to, to, to level off, it's up and down. The, you know, gas prices have been up five weeks in a row. They're the highest they've been since October. Even though the CPI report showed that gas price was down 20% from where it was a year ago. And then we got producer prices that showed that maybe the, the leading component of consumer prices. What does it cost to make things? What does it cost to kind of get to that end product? Went up maybe a little more than it had the, the month prior. And so signs that inflation is going to be a conversation for a while longer, even if it's not the 9%. Right. Yeah. That that uh, producer price index is looking at uh, inflation on the wholesale level. And if uh, one of the things you look at there is you strip out um, some of the the more volatile uh, numbers for food and energy and trade services. And that core number was up 4.7% from a year ago. Again, the Fed's shooting for 2%, so that's more than twice what the Fed wants. But that's the lowest it's been since uh, February of 2021. I think it's important to also remember, Joel, that while inflation is, is a troublesome topic, 
3.2% is well within the long-term average. And right now, wages are outpacing inflation. That's a great point. So, you know, we're, we're kind of in an area here, and I know the Fed's target is two, and they're likely going to continue with that mantra uh, to get us there. But from a general perspective here, long, long-term long look, 3.2% inflation is not the end of the world, especially when wages are going up. You know, I think as we look at um, what that means for consumers, the ultimate end goal of the economy, we got a consumer sentiment number that shows that, you know, maybe sentiment's not as strong as we would hope at this point, um, and maybe not reflective of the broader strength of the economy, right, Joel? Yeah, it's, um, you know, we say every week, I think, on the show that, you know, consumer spending makes up 60% of the gross domestic product in the U.S. So it's very important, and consumer sentiment is sort of a leading indicator of um, how confident people feel to, to be spending. And, and you know, we, we got the number today, and, and it's a preliminary look at uh, how consumers feel for the month of August. And it's about the same as where we ended July, a, a little lower. Um, but it's 42% above where it was a year ago, but a year ago was at an all-time low. So we're still, historically speaking, the, the number was uh, 71.2, and the, the long-term average is 86. So historically speaking, we're still not feeling all that great about you know where we are as an economy and where we are with our personal finances. Although, again, kind of the, the shorter-term trend is um, we've had months now where uh, consumers are, th- their expectations for inflation are relatively low. It's about 2.9% right now. Um, long-term, that's their expectation for inflation, and and it's hung around there for a while. You know, what I find interesting is the relationship between consumer sentiment and what consumers actually do. Those aren't always the same thing. There is, however, a link between low consumer sentiment and future direction of the stock market. Usually when consumers feel doom and gloom, that's a time when uh, the stock market tends to turn around. We're not in that area now, but it does underscore some um, uh, underwhelming consumer sentiment, yet still getting out there and spending and enjoying life and trips and travel and uh, houses and whatnot. So those two numbers don't always match up. Dave, I want to switch gears here a little bit. Earlier in the year, uh, M&A activity, just general kind of uh, corporate spending on deal making had been virtually non-existent. We've seen some higher profile deals. We've seen some spinoffs recently, potentially a sign that there's some optimism from at least some corporate leaders that there's opportunity out there if they're willing to take some, some more strategic steps. We got questions quite a bit this week on um, Johnson and Johnson's decision to spin off Kenview. You know, our, our role is not to tell investors what to do, but simply to advise them on what their options are. Um, and so, certainly not something we're going to say. Here's what you should do. But um, you know, it is interesting to see the amount of deal making that's been taking place start to pick up, and perhaps a sign that maybe there's a little optimism on the corporate side now as well, not just the individual investors. I think any type time you see that type of activity pick up, I think there's some, there is some potential positive spin you can put on it from the standpoint of that confidence that might be out there, uh, especially at, that, uh, at the top end of those corporations. Your point is well taken. I, I think it's important that people know that there is potentially no right or wrong decision for each one of these uh, that pop up. It, it, a lot of it depends on why you owned that stock to begin with. 
in the example of, of Johnson & Johnson, when they're, when they're spinning off uh, a piece of that business, it depends on, you know, what did you own it for in the first place? And I think you need to evaluate that. And if you, you owned it because of the products that were spun off, then maybe you follow those. If you just bought it for the, uh, the dividend and the, and the parent name of the, of the company, then maybe you keep, you know, stay with the Johnson & Johnson. And but in the case that uh, people own those stocks through a mutual fund, can you explain how those proxies get voted? Yeah, because ultimately most investors in these businesses don't own them directly. They own them through an index fund or they own them through a, uh, a an actively managed mutual fund or whatever that looks like. And so a manager within that or a set of rules for the index funds is governing what they think is supposed to happen based on what those rules are or what they think the best option is. And so one of the things you're doing when you're finding an active manager is a great example is to say, not only do we trust you to make the right decisions about what stocks to buy, but we trust you on what to do as these decision points come up. What's the right time to sell it? What's the right time to accept a tender offer to take shares of Kenview instead of Johnson & Johnson? Because I want to own Vino and Benadryl and Band-Aid and uh, all the other pieces that come with it. Um, and the catch is you as the owner of the individual stock are now on the hook for some of that decision making. Whereas by getting it through that basket, through a mutual fund or an ETF, there's a process in place for you to tell you here's what you should be doing. I think the the other thing to remember is that there's always a third option if you do own that individual stock. It isn't, should I keep the old stock or, or get the new stock? You could always say, yeah, you know what, actually, I don't want either. Um, and this is a good opportunity when you get these kinds of offers to say, what was my investment thesis here? Why did I buy that position? And again, we generally don't recommend individual stocks. We generally aren't telling customers, um, you know, this is a good stock or a bad stock. But these kinds of opportunities are an opportunity to say, well, why did I own that in the first place? And, and what do I want going forward? You know, I think as we kind of wrap up what was uh, a bit of a mixed week here, a reminder that um, we're most of the way through earnings season, uh, that the last couple of quarters have been perhaps a bit rougher uh, than what we were used to dealing with in the past few years, um, but that the outlook for the quarters ahead starts to get a little better. Uh, that as those earnings outlooks start to show growth instead of decline, uh, earnings multiples uh, as one of the things we look towards for valuations uh, start to look a little less stretched. And so, Adam, we're looking at a forward PE on the S&P right now of 19.3, but it's 19.3 on a number that hasn't shown all that much growth in a while. Uh, and if we do start to see that earnings growth come back, perhaps stocks don't look as expensive as maybe we otherwise think they are. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, you and, and us on the show have talked about an earnings recession, and we certainly had one in the first half, but that might not be the case the second half of this year. Uh, you know, so far in earnings season as we've had it, 70% uh, of the companies have beat their earnings expectations. You start to look ahead at the second half of this year, specifically the fourth quarter, earnings expectations still up maybe in the 8 to 10% range. At some point, we're going to have to turn the calendar and start looking ahead to 2024. And at the moment, earnings expectations for growth for next year in the 10 to 12% range. Candidly, okay, that some of that might have to get walked back, but even still, that's a big number. 
And uh, all of a sudden, those those multiples start to make a lot more sense, especially if those earnings numbers really start to materialize. To materialize. However, if they don't, uh, we got something we got to work through. And to be clear, even if earnings stay relatively stable from here, even if we do walk those numbers back, we're still well within the range of normal for forward valuations, for even trailing valuations. And so it's not like we're talking about a market that is so overvalued that it needs to come back tomorrow. You know, we're, we're fond here of, of the old saying that markets don't die of old age. Uh, they also don't die immediately just because they're expensive. You just need a little time to, to work yourself out of that. And so um, I think what we've seen so far this year is the easy money has been made. Um, and now we either need a little more time or we need the earnings to finally start to materialize. With that, we enjoy doing the program for you. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>